A very good Saturday morning to you. This is Money Talk Extra, and I'm Peter Lewis. Each week on Money Talk Extra, we try to provide you with some sound, independent financial advice, provide a guide to resources where you can find more information, and give some pointers to sensible investment. This week, we're going to tackle the issue of debt. Jimmy Lamb will try and help family businesses get on a sound footing. And in our investment segment, we'll take a look at the risks and rewards of investing in emerging markets. This is your programme, so we want to hear from you. If you would like to suggest topics to discuss, or you would like us to have an expert look at your personal financial situation and give some advice, then please email moneytalk at rthk.hk. We also have a Facebook page, Money Talk Extra on RTHK Radio 3, where you can find information on the topics discussed in today's programme and links to websites that provide useful resources. Hong Kong's households are nearly twice as much in debt as they were a decade ago, and grassroots families earn less than what they spend every month. The average debt borne by each household, comprising mortgages, credit card advances and personal loans, is over 640,000 Hong Kong dollars. Mortgage loans are more than twice the amount of a decade ago. Flat prices and rentals surged by 223% and 100% respectively over the last decade. Many households are borrowing just to meet daily living costs. So what should you do when debt becomes overwhelming and you can no longer meet repayments? Joining me now is Henry Chan, Centre Supervisor at the Healthy Budgeting Family Debt Counselling Centre. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Peter. So what levels of debt have people you helped typically built up? Uh, most of our clients are in debt over 300000 but their income is just 10000 to 30000 So generally speaking, uh, if your income is much higher, your debt amount will be much higher. And I should imagine that credit card debt is a common source of that. Do people who seek help typically have a large number of credit cards? And if so, how, how many do they tend to have? Yeah, credit card is one of the uh, sources accumulating the debt, and it's very common in Hong Kong or even in the world. Uh, but other than cards, uh, most of our clients also in debt from the personal loan from the banks or financial institutions. And um, most of our clients have five to ten cards. Five to ten cards. And is that because when they've used up their credit on one card, they then take out another card and they take out loans to try and pay off some of the credit card debt? Is that how it accumulates? Yes, because uh, in our banking system or in our Hong Kong uh, financial system, uh, it is very easy to get another card if the clients do not overdue the debt or even he just paid minimum payment every month. He is easy to get another cut. So many of these people are just paying the minimum amount, so they're not even really reducing the amount of debt. Yes, uh, paying minimum payment is not the solution, but many people uh, try to solve their debt by this solution. So what is the solution? What would you advise for people who have a lot of debt, are starting to get very worried about it, uh, maybe thinking about taking out another loan or credit card? What would you advise them to do instead? First of all, I think um, the in-debt client should uh, uh, calculate how much debt he has and try to discuss with their family. Face the debt, face the fact. If possible, try to seek help from professionals. 
and let the professional give advice to solve the credit card problem. And I should imagine that's a hard thing to do. Many people don't want to face up to the amount of debt they have. They put their credit card statements away and hope that they might disappear. Yes, Peter, you are right. Most of the people uh, do not want to see the statement. Uh, they just want to pay the minimum payment and they just think that they are not in debt. Yeah, they have very good financial situations. So uh, most of our clients do not know how much debt they have. I have a client, uh, she's a woman. She has not opened any statement for four years. She just thinks her debt is just $10,000. But when we try to calculate the debt with her in our office, well, we find that her debt has been accumulated to 50000 Yeah, And this is common? It's very common. So what are your options if you're in that situation? Uh, if the clients have uh, the debt problem, we encourage her to face the debt. It is not a solution to avoid the debt. If you avoid the debt, the debt will accumulate until one day you cannot solve. And because the debt amount can be accumulated to a large amount. Interest rates on credit cards are very high, so that debt can accumulate very fast. Yes. Uh, let me uh, give you an example. If a client just owned the credit card about 20000 and he just paid minimum payment, the credit card interest rate is about 30% per year. How many years he need to pay the minimum payments to settle the debt? Uh, I think many people cannot imagine. And how it's many years is it? Yeah, it's take near 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, if you just pay minimum payment to settle 20000 So is this the type of debt that should be your priority in reducing first if you do have a lot of debt? Yes, because the debt in credit cards has a much higher interest rate. This is the first priority to handle. Henry, if you go to the bank and say, I'm having trouble meeting the payment schedule, what are they likely to do? The banks may encourage the client to apply debt relief plan or individual voluntary arrangement. But it depends on the debt amounts, the client's income and his credibility and his uh, repayment ability. Is declaring bankruptcy an option? Uh, yes, in Hong Kong, applying bankruptcy is a solution but it is not the best one and it should be taken as the last option because applying bankruptcy has its limitation and its influence. For example, it may affect you to, have to be some professional body. So uh, we also encourage our client to consider clearly before applying bankruptcy. Where can people go to get advice if they have debt problems? Yeah, my center is Donghua Group of Hospital Healthy Budgeting Family Debt Counseling Center. We are a non-profit making organization and offer free debt counseling. The hotline is 2548080 fee. And we'll put that on our Money Talk Extra Facebook page. Henry, thank you very much for joining us this morning.
That's Henry Chan from the Healthy Budgeting Family Debt Counselling Centre of the Tungwa Group of Hospitals. It's estimated that there are more than half a million Chinese family businesses in Hong Kong. However, the value of many of these businesses is in steep decline. So what are the reasons for that? And if you are an owner of a family business, what steps can you take to put it on a sound financial footing? Jimmy Lam spoke to Professor Joseph Fan at the Faculty of Business Administration at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and Sandy Mack, owner of the Gala Cafe. So when we talk about family business, what kind of industries do we mostly find them? Uh, if we are talking about Chinese uh, family business, they are everywhere. In all industry, all sectors, you can find family business, family firms. Um, they are owned and managed by founding family members. So it is a very common organizational form, and they have been highly successful in emerging markets, including Hong Kong, Southeast Asia, China, Taiwan, uh, and so on. Apparently, family-owned and family-run companies, they are the most successful business organization in emerging market, including Hong Kong and Asia. Uh, it is because uh, in emerging markets, uh, when legal protections, laws are emerging, uh, relationship-based dealings are the most uh, successful form of transactions. So it looks like they are doing quite well, but what kind of financial concerns do they have? Yeah, having said that they are prominent and they, are, they have been successful, they also have weakness. I think the most critical challenge to Chinese family business, including Hong Kong family business, is succession. That is, transition from the previous generation to the next generation. Our research showed that during transition periods, succession periods, um, the, the loss of value of this uh, succeeding family firm is about 60%, uh, which is tremendous. It's all, uh, based on my 30 years of research experience. Other than bankruptcy, there's nothing more challenging than family firm succession. And do you see the common reasons why they kind of evaporate the values of the family business? There are two classes of reason. The first class of reason has to do with the fact that family businesses are successful because they have family provide intangible specialized inputs, such as relationship, right, with family members, with professional managers, with politicians, with banks. Uh, all of these are critical to business success, but they are intangible. It's very hard to transfer these intangible assets to the next generations. So value will dissipate uh, when uh, these intangible assets uh, disappear in the transition process. The second class of reason has to do with unable to bypass all sort of we call roadblocks, obstacles. Uh, obstacles can come from family, can come from the industry, can come from market or country level. For example, at the family level, um, the biggest enemy is yourself. And family members may not get along, especially when parents are not around or too weak <laughs> to manage the business. Uh, siblings may fight. And when they fight, business cannot be sustainable. Uh, not to mention at the industry and market level, they are constantly challenged, forcing family business to transform their business into new business model or a new industry. At the country level, 
uh, many uh, family business face inheritance, uh, strict inher inheritance law, uh, high in inheritance tax, corruptions, all this could challenge the sustainability of family business. And now I'm joined by a family business owner, Sandy Mack from Gallic Cafe. How long have you and your husband been running your business? My husband bought these shops over 30 years and started his business in up to now. And how is your restaurant performing financially? It's going good. We have about 1 million annual income after paying 200,000 tax. Our expense is only mainly on the food and electricity. We need to pay salary to one employee who is my sister. She is waitress and I cook the ludos and my husband make the drinks and sandwiches. And is there a specific question you would like to ask our advisor about your business? We want to have a second shop but we are concerned the quality of food cannot be maintained. My husband doesn't want to follow the big stores. Their food is very expensive and the amount is very small. He wants, he needs to order three times of the same dish because he was hungry. Also, we worry about our shops can want further 10 years because we have a son and a daughter, but they do not like to work in this shop. And my husband is 73, and he cannot stand and work for a very long time. But we want to continue the restaurant because we can serve more customers with very reasonable price and good enough portion of food. You heard there some of the pitfalls and problems involved in running a family business. Now to provide some advice, Jimmy also spoke to Alan Lee, director of the Legacy Academy. Um, Sandy mentioned they would like to expand their business, opening a second restaurant, but they worry about the quality because they're really hands-on. They only have three staff in the cafe. What advice would you give them? That's a very good question because uh, many family businesses would like to expand their business. Like this um, restaurant, they would like to have um, maybe the second restaurant. So the uh, important thing is, uh, in order to ensure the quality, uh, there should be some corporate culture. Uh, corporate culture can make the company sustainable and then ensure there is a system for the quality of food provided and also uh, is in line with the family uh, vision, missions and values. Okay. So after there is a system, there is also a governance system, uh, especially like those um, listed companies. Uh, they have the corporate governance, but for that kind of uh, Restaurants might be, they have some family uh, business governance. So if we have a governance system, that means we have set out the family constitutions and then make use in the restaurants and then all the staff uh, or even the business partners need to uh, cope with the constitutions strictly. Uh, this is very important to ensure the system is sustainable and the quality can be ensured. And the next question that they have is the next generation of their family is not really interested in taking over the business. Um, how should they plan about their business succession? Um, for 
the global um, family enterprise with more than 100 years. There was a research actually on the best practice, and actually there are 15 best practices for those family enterprises. One of them um, is to uh, support the development of the next generation leadership and also ensure um, they, they can fulfill their personal uh, fulfillment. So um, I believe that if the second generations can go with their visions, I believe they would also uh, love to uh, act as a family members to help the family business. Um, they might not need to manage the business, but they can own the business. So uh, for Chinese, uh, usually they would combine both the rights of ownership and also the rights of management. But actually for the Western culture, they would like to separate these two rights and they have a governance systems to ensure uh, those um, agents, uh, like those directors or business partners, uh, they would uh, run the business or operate the business in accordance with the family values. So I believe um, the legacies would be um, transfer uh, certain ownership rights for them and then they can act as the, the directors uh, on the non-executive side uh, and then act professionally as a non-executive directors. And for the rights of manage, management, um, they can uh, recruit professional managers with the family governance system. One thing also they mention is they don't want the business to be like solely profit maximizing. They want to have reasonable price, but like a big portion of food. Um, how can they strike a good balance between like upholding the values that they believe and making the business sustainable and profitable? First of all, is to have a consensus uh, within the families. Okay, so what would they like to pursue um, for the goals for that company? For example, they would like to provide quality food uh, with some missions, like, uh, like an example, Green Monday. Uh, they would like to uh, promote vegetarian food, even burger. They have the vegetarian burger. So because of uh, health and make green as a common practice as well. So this is a lifelong purpose. But they would also like to ensure the quality, uh, especially for the nutrients. Uh, inside the burger, make someone healthy and also make our environment green. That means we would like to protect our environment. And then, um, but they still need to be sustainable. So they need to have, a, um, first of all, cost and benefit analysis, and then they would have their financials to calculate how to make the, um, sh the restaurants uh, be sustainable and also break even. Uh, so they need to have a long-term plan, a medium to long-term plan, I think. Usually for family business, uh, if the families have a vision of more than 100 years and then put this as a system and the strategic development plan for that corporate, uh, I believe uh, this could be sustainable. That's Alan Lee of the Legacy Academy talking to Jimmy Lam. It's been a good start to the year for emerging markets. The MSCI Emerging Markets Index hit a two-year high last month, led by Korea, India and overseas-listed China stocks. According to the Institute of International Finance, emerging market assets saw around $30 billion of inflows last month, the most since January 2015. To tell me more now about investing in emerging markets, I spoke to Edwin Lai, Professor of Economics at the HKUST Business School.
First of all, what makes an emerging market? How would you define it? What makes up the universe of emerging markets? Okay, uh, I think the line is 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 very hard to draw a a line.、Uh, I think roughly, if you would ask me, I would say, for example, the World Bank had classified countries according to low income country, middle income country, and high income country. I would say emerging market will belong to. Uh, probably the middle income,、uh, which, roughly speaking, I think the GDP per capita of let's say you know ten、uh, thousand to twenty thousand US dollar per year, something like that. I, I roughly speaking,、uh, country like China, for example, would be considered emerging market.、Uh, in Indonesia, Malaysia, you know,、uh, Thailand, South Korea. I mean, a lot of these countries in Asia, I would consider, you know. To be emerging market,、uh, um, so I, I would, you know, roughly that—that's what I mean. I mean to refer to the World Bank classification, more or less. Yeah. And why are they performing so well at the moment? What's driving that performance? There are.、Uh, when you say they're performing well,、uh, I, I'm not sure whether I, I completely agree that that they're performing well.、Uh, a In fact,、uh, it's very volatile.、Uh, these markets are, are very volatile. If you're talking about you're talking about investment, right? You're talking about personal investment. So we let's be a more let's be a little bit more concrete. Okay. So as an ordinary Hong Kong person, you want to invest in uh, uh, in、um, emerging market. What what can you buy? I the first thing I, that comes to my mind is、uh, you know、uh, mutual funds, and there are. You know,、uh, equity funds or or bond funds,、uh, and you you can buy these、uh, mutual funds or or, or ETF or exchange、uh, traded funds,、um, and、um, yeah, you can buy these、uh, from from from、uh, some mutual fund companies.、Um, typically,、uh, it's very volatile. The return to these emerging market,、uh, especially equity funds. Is very volatile. You have to have a very large、um, appetite for risk in order to invest in this emerging market, especially、uh, equity funds, even bond funds.、Uh, it's actually、uh, has a, it's, it's a lot more risky、uh, than in a more mature markets, such as the U.S. or European markets. In fact, they they tend to be prone to boom and bust cycles, don't they? Because we had three years where the emerging market index declined, and then 2016 we finally saw it rally. But they do tend to go through these boom and bust periods. Exactly, they do go through boom and bust,、uh, but in also big time. Also, the the magnitude of、uh, of the、uh, changes is actually very big、uh, compared with more mature markets. So that is the characteristic. Uh, I think the reason probably probably is because confidence is one thing,、um, and, uh, and 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 political and economic risks are、uh, in in these markets、uh, tend to、uh, at least people pers- the perception of of of, of political and and economic risks in these markets tend to be higher. Um, yeah. And although there are obviously high risks, if you're prepared to take those risks, the rewards, the returns from these markets can also exceed、uh, the developed markets quite considerably. Yes,、uh, you, if you are if you are、uh, careful enough, okay, you have to be, you know, very careful.、Uh, I mean, it,、uh, in a sense that 
Okay, you have to watch the market very, very closely, on day by day, or even you know uh, hour by hour, and uh, and you 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 have to sort of grasp the opportunity. Okay, you have to pay a lot of attention uh, and try to enter at the right time and leave at the right time. Uh, I think that is the the kind of thing that then then you may be able to make. Uh, to make uh, you know great return, and also typically in this mar- this kind of market, uh, it is uh, I think it will help if you had uh, if you have more connections and get more uh, news. I don't want to use the word insider information, uh, but but I mean to have more inside insider information would be much better in that kind of market. Yeah, and how much are these markets dependent upon commodities? Depends on commodities. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, some of them actually depend on commodity a great deal. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, Russia, you know, depend on oil. Uh, you know, Brazil also depend on oil. And then, and then you have, uh, uh, you know, some, uh, I mean, Indonesia also. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of these uh, depending on uh, either oil or some natural resources, uh, like a mineral um so yeah, you have to pay attention to the commodity market, and and for that it's very interesting. Uh, commodity market uh, also have the boom and bust, as you said, and uh, China in, indeed actually affects the commodity market a great deal. So you have to what if you if you're looking at commodity, you look at you have to look at China uh, to watch what China uh, to to watch the, the the you know what the the, the growth trajectory of China as well. And you say that uh, China affects commodities. That's because it's both a big producer and a big importer of commodities. Is that the reason why? It's a big buyer in the world. It's a, like the biggest buyer of commodity in the world uh, because of its, its very fast growth. Uh, even now, uh, even though it, uh, the growth has slowed down to like uh, less than 7%, but still it's like the largest uh, buyer of commodity uh, like uh, like iron ore, you know, uh, like uh, you know minerals and oil and all these things. So so the fact that China's growth has slowed down in the last couple of years had in fact uh, uh, adversely affected the commodity price a great deal. So that's my point. Yeah. And finally, a couple of the other big markets in the emerging markets universe: Russia and uh, and Brazil. About the prospect. Yes. Oh, okay. I I think Russia very much, uh, you know, oil. I I think uh, oil will will really very much affect Russia uh, oil price. If we you watch for the the oil price uh, trajectory, uh, that will affect Russia. For Brazil, I would say I think again oil, and there is an I think uh, mineral. Uh, in fact, it's escaped my mind what kind of mineral is maybe copper, but I I'm not quite sure, but. But uh, yeah, indeed, you you just you're right that uh, you know these like Russia and Brazil. I think uh, you have to watch out for these kind of commodities. Thanks to Professor Lai at the HKUST Business School for that, and thank you for listening to Money Talk Extra this week. Next week we shall focus on retirement. We'll discuss the importance of starting to plan and budget from a young age. Jimmy Lam will discuss retirement schemes and talk to a Money Talk Extra listener about their concerns. And it wouldn't be possible to talk about retirement without taking a look at the MPF scheme. Until next Saturday, this is Peter Lewis wishing you a great weekend. Music